You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. God is going to show up for us, and God is going to engage with us in these stories if we're open to them. And God's going to move us to a different place than where we are right now. By sharing our stories, we enable one another and encourage one another and empower one another to have greater faith, you know. Um, and uh, I, I think there's real great hope in, in that, that these stories still continue today. Yeah, so we all have these great stories. Hey, he appeared to me also. Here's my story. Here's what happened. Take it or not, but that's what happened. There are a lot of different people that Jesus shows himself to. And it was an amazing thing, time and time and time again, how Jesus showed up. I think he's, he's looking forward to doing that today. Schweitzer. I'm uh, David Framing, your director of Community Impact, and we get to continue on with Easter. Woo! Last week's worship was potent, powerful, wonderful, and Easter is not over. It's been going ever since, right? That's what we're talking about today. He appeared to me also. Yeah, we're going to dig into some of those great stories of Jesus appearing to people after he rose from the dead. Whoa! Didn't expect that. But also, we're going to talk about he still does that. He appeared to me also, February 28, 2010. I wasn't going to tell this story, but I watched the bumper video yesterday. And uh, we're supposed to tell each other these stories for encouragement, right? It happens to us. There are many people sitting around you. He has appeared to them also. And he wants to appear to you also, to all of us. For me, it was, it was like the life that I had lived before was a little bit gray, but I didn't realize it until he appeared to me, and all of a sudden it became so vibrant. I'd love to just tell you all the ripple effects of that, but ask my wife and my kids. I've not been the same since. Have I relapsed some? Yes. But, oh, he appeared to me also, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Before we do, I'd like to give a couple of definitions of a couple of words that I'm going to use. I'm going to use the words temporal and eternal perspective, all right? When I say temporal perspective, I'm talking about a 70 to 100-year perspective of seeking all the happiness, influence, comfort, and security possible. And when I say the word eternal perspective, I'm talking about a 100,000-year perspective of abiding with Jesus that includes right now. Paul kind of hits this. And, you know, those, those perspectives are all over Scripture once you kind of see life from that way. Uh, Romans 8, 6, for the mindset on the flesh is death, temporal. But the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. He tries again in Colossians 3, 2, set your mind on things above, that eternal perspective, not on the things that are on the earth, the temporal perspective. And those stories appear all over the place. We're going to study several of them this morning. And I don't know about you, but many times for me, it's easier said than done to look at life from the eternal perspective. It's somewhat like looking at this picture. 
Seen this before? Raise your hand if you've seen this before. Yeah, several people have seen this before. We kind of thought, eh, maybe we shouldn't use this because it's overused. However, for me, the first time I saw this, I was very frustrated by this picture because there were people who said, oh, there are two women there, one older woman and one younger woman. I never could see the other woman. I, I tried and tried and tried and tried. Never did that first time. The second time I saw this picture, somebody took it and traced it out for me. By the way, uh, if you just get frustrated, you can go home and Google this. You know, older woman, younger woman picture. It will show up. Somebody explained it to me, traced out the other person. And I still didn't get it. Finally, I kind of got it to where I could see between the two. But even now, when I look at that, I have a really hard time switching between the two. The eternal and temporal perspective sometimes seems that way for me going throughout a day. I don't know about you. I love what you have prayed, the, the reality and the mystery of what we're talking about here. So uh, I hope by the end of this sermon that we all just have this deep craving for an eternal perspective. I hope what the sermon does for all of us is kind of what a cow lick does, a salt lick does for cattle and deer makes us really crave the living water, right? So let's dig in. The first story comes from the first appearance of Jesus, Mary Magdalene. I mean, she was on it. Mary Magdalene, now, I have this note. This is really funny. This is from a previous sermon. I hand wrote it in my Bible. The same Mary out of whom Jesus cast demons and delivered from prostitution, probably the woman who washed his feet with perfume and hair, Bob Cassidy. Hey, so I'm just quoting scholars, all right? All right, so that's the woman we're talking about. And Mary Magdalene loved Jesus. Once all those things happened, can you imagine the freedom and how you would follow the ministry and support the ministry of that person after that had happened in your life? And that was Mary Magdalene. She was there. She was there on Palm Sunday. I mean, she was probably, Hosanna, yeah, he's coming. Folks, you're right. You're finally getting it. The Messiah is here. He's going to free us from the Roman rule. It's game on. It's going. And then he was crucified. And that... What do you do with that when your hopes and dreams are dead? Well, what Mary Magdalene did is as soon as Sabbath was over on Saturday night, she ran out and grabbed the embalming liquids to go take care of Jesus' body. She was just doing what she knew to do. She was in deep grief. You know that shocked the few days or weeks after a grieving event where you just kind of stumble along with what you know to do? That's what Mary was doing. And Scripture records that she was the first one out there Sunday morning before the sun rose, as early as anybody could possibly get there to take care of Jesus' body, she was there. She was, she was like a deer craving water, and she just didn't know what to do besides go take care of the body. And that's where our story picks up. It's John 20, verse 11. So Mary shows up. The tomb is open. Oh, now, I mean, it's, it's bad enough he's dead. Now what's going on? But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stopped and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Let's stop right there. This is the first indicator to me that Mary is really stuck in a temporal perspective and a lot of grief, right? What happens when most people see angels in the Bible? (laughs) They fall down. They don't kill me, right? And Mary's just going along like she's talking to anybody. She is just stuck in the here and now. All she sees is the empty tomb, and she's trying to figure out what's going on with the body. Where's the body? 
All right. So she said to them, ah, woman, why are you weeping? She said, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she had this, said this, she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing there. But she didn't recognize it was Jesus. So obviously, this is John putting that little part in later, right? She, she, she told the story later. She didn't even recognize that it was Jesus. She is stuck. All she sees is this gray garden, this gray tomb, this stone rolled away, and she wants so desperately just to do what she came to do. She turned around and saw Jesus and didn't know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, I mean, she's, it's Jesus, and all she sees is this gardener. She said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. Or did he say, Mary? Or did he say, Mary? I have no idea. What happened? I don't think it had anything to do with the tone of voice and the name. Maybe it did. But somehow in the other resurrection stories, and it seems to happen in our lives, he does something with our mind where instantly we can see the other perspective. Sometimes it happens like that. Instantly. It did for Mary. And so the story instantly changes. It's all sudden vibrant color. And what's Jesus saying next? Whoa, 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 you don't have to hug me so much. I don't know. Does she leap on him, hugging him? Is she groveling at his feet, grabbing his hand? I don't know. But as often happens with Jesus, when we start seeing life from an eternal perspective, all we want to do is worship. Wow. When you see the reality of what is going on and understand who Jesus is and what he is doing, whoa, praise his name. Praise his holy name, right? And that's, that's exactly where Mary is. And as often happens, when you get that eternal perspective with Jesus, you instantly realize all that there is to be done to join him in his work. And that's what Jesus does for Mary. He says, okay, okay, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father, and your Father, and my God, and your God. He just throws out this completely new paradigm that is going to rock everybody's world for the next 2,000 years. And he sends a woman to deliver the message, which is completely anti-cultural. Right off the bat, Jesus appears and starts busting cultural norms. It's so fun. This is an amazing story. So Mary gets up, and she does it. She goes, and she announces to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and she tells them all the things that he said to her. Fascinating. Now, according to Mark, none of the disciples believed her. So you get, this, you, you, you get this eternal perspective and life gets on fire and you expect, okay, everything's going to be great now. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily go as temporally you would hope it would go, but I, that's all we hear about Mary. I want to know what happened in the rest of Mary's life. Someday I'm going to get to sit down with Mary and ask her, how did that affect the rest of your life? Well, let's go on to some other stories to, to get another perspective of this of the change that Jesus can do in a life. Corey Ten Boom's The Hiding Place. Have you read it? Highly recommend this book. This book challenged me and was painful to me for many years. <sighs> so the story is about the Ten Booms, basically about Corey and her sister Betsy, but their father, who is an amazing figure of worshiping the Lord on a very consistent basis. Nazis come in, take the country, and they hide Jews. Right? And they, Betsy and Corey are both in their 60s. And they become these kind of spy espionage figures in this uh, you know, drama to hide the Jews from the Nazis. 
That's the first part of the book, but the second part of the book is they get turned in. Not for hiding Jews, fortunately, but for something else, and they go to prison. And the rest of the book is kind of about Corey and Betsy in prison together and the way they view that whole circumstance differently. So we're going to pick up on the story at a point here where they're, they're being taken into a concentration camp. They've been juggled around from place to place. and They're going into a concentration camp. They're hungry. They're, they're uncomfortable. The weather's terrible. They walk past a place where a person is being tortured, and this female guard walks out and in a monotone voice says, basically, this is what will happen to you if you're a bad person and don't behave and follow every order that we give. And it's a horrible scene they're watching. And then they're marched into the barracks to once again go through the rigmarole of the Nazi very methodical, very precise accounting system. And Colette is going to pick up for us there. And still, we were not allowed to sit. There was a last wait while the matron, with maddening deliberateness, checked off our documents against a list. Betsy, I wailed, how long will it take? Perhaps a long, long time. Perhaps many years, but what better way could there be to spend our lives? I turned to stare at her. Whatever are you talking about? These young women, that girl back at the bunkers, Corey, if people can be taught to hate, they can be taught to love. We must find the way, you and I, no matter how long it takes. She went on almost forgetting in her excitement to keep her voice to a whisper, while I slowly took on the fact that she was talking about our guards. I glanced at the matron seated at the desk ahead of us. I saw a gray uniform and a visored hat. Betsy saw a wounded human being. And I wondered, not for the first time, what sort of a person she was, this sister of mine? What kind of road she followed while I trudged beside her on the all too solid earth? The story goes on of them in the concentration camps and uh, Betsy tries to tell Corey, we've got to start a ministry to hurting Nazis after this war ends. And Betsy dies in the concentration camp. You know, the, Oh, sorry. I don't know why I do this. Uh, so the one with the eternal perspective died. And Corey never heard this instant from God, a voice from God about how to switch from her temporal to her eternal perspective of the situation. But through the witness and just being around Betsy, she changed. Towards the end, she started doing ministry with a, with a pure and honest heart, with God's heart, if you will, for people around her. She was serving in the infirmary of the prison of the concentration camp, which was a horrible place, and even the prisoners in there were treating her badly. And in that moment, she says this very poignant thing. There are no ifs in God's kingdom, I could hear Betsy's soft voice saying. His timing is perfect. His will is our hiding place. Lord Jesus, keep me in your will. Don't let me go mad by poking about outside it. A person's attempt to describe that eternal perspective, the will of God. You are my hiding place. Right? You think the book is about hiding Jews, but it's really not. It's about Jesus hiding us, no matter the circumstances. 
We can live from an eternal perspective. Corey was delivered out of the concentration camp the day before everybody her age was killed. And she went on to start a ministry for Nazis after the war. Wow. Uh, Another good story, as I was telling Colette about what I was going to preach about in this sermon, she said, oh, you've got to listen to Dan Bauman's story. So Voice of the Martyr Radio, March 16 and 23rd, uh, radio broadcast. You can Google it and hear them. Dan Wyman is a Y-whammer. Man, those are weird people, and I could say that because I know some of the glorious among them. Youth with a mission, right? And he decided to go on vacation, he and a friend, and they were going to go on vacation to Iran. The hot spot of the world, right? Vacation hotspot, right? So they went in, they were coming out of Iran, and the border guards looked at their documents and said, uh, something's not right here. It took them back to a government building to start asking them about their documents. Dan was asked by the uh, government official, hey, do you mind stepping into this room privately? Uh, and, and we'll ask, so we can ask you and your friends questions separately from one another. He stepped into the room, and immediately the beatings began. And of course, he can tell the story much better than I can, but this is the part that really gripped me. So in the beginning, he said it was all panic, shaking. Whatever panic does to us, it was on me, right? I was getting beaten, and, and I, he said, I called the man my interrogator over the next nine weeks because he's the only person who beat me, and he beat me frequently. And the first day While this was happening, I heard God's voice say, Dan, I want to teach you to love your enemies. He said, "Uh, not now, God, thank you, Uh, because really, this is complete injustice. Uh, I should be at the embassy. I have no idea why he's beating me. There's no explanation. My rights are being completely violated, so love him. No, 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 that's all right. I can love other people, but not this guy. And he said, as he wrestled with God while he's being beaten, right, he felt like God said, Dan, ask me what I think of him. Ugh. Okay, God, I don't know how, I, I can't even envision this. Okay, God, I don't understand, but what do, you, what do you think about this man? And he says, and the love of God started pouring into my heart. Maybe that's another way to talk about the eternal perspective. The love of God just flooding in and changing the scene. Listen to this story, because there's more to it. I mean, it wasn't all glory and, and roses. He, he really wanted to escape life in the middle of this. It was horrible. But towards the end, he said, over the weeks, God changed my heart. And he did make me more like him. Because I, I, Dan was praying, Lord, that's all that can happen here, because you're going to have to do this, because I'm not there. I can't love this guy who's beating me. And he said, one day I got up and I felt like the Lord was telling me today was going to be different. And I went into the beating and I looked at my interrogator, the interrogator, and said, hey, you know, since we're going to be together for such a long time, can we just be friends? He said, that, that didn't come from me, that came from God. And he said, the interrogator just looked at me. And I said it again, and he just looked at me. And the third time I said, look, I want to be your friend. I want to tell you my name and I want to know your name. And he held out his hand. He said, the interrogator just stiffened up and started shaking and said, eventually, yes, and called him by name, gave him his name, which was a complete breach of protocol, and said, yes, I want to know you, and I want to be your friend. And went on to say, look, I don't have a lot of power here. There's not much I can do to change your situation. But we can be friends. He doesn't say whether the guy beat him that day or not. I don't know. But the next day, he was released. Listen to the story. It's, It's potent. It's powerful. 
The last story I want to tell you <laughs> occurred while I was really struggling with this sermon. Because here I am saying, you know, God needs to do something in your life and miraculously step in and change your perspective in order for you to have the eternal perspective. Well, great. What if I'm one of the people sitting here saying, I can't tell the difference between the old woman and the young woman. I've never had this moment with God. So what am I supposed to do? Just sit here and twiddle my thumbs till it happens? I mean, what do I do? Go out and eat, drink, and be married till God intervenes? And I was really struggling with how do I answer that question? I mean, for myself to tell anybody else, because frankly, I've heard that comment. I've heard something along the lines of, you know what? My ROI, my return on investment with Jesus just isn't that great. I mean, I've done things. I've, I've tried to read books. I've tried to uh, pray. I've tried to do things. And my life still sucks. So what do I do? And uh, somebody told me to go ask Faith about her answer to that question. Because somebody had that question to her, and she said, well, I joined the church, I did Bible studies, I, I started serving, I made friends. And the person said, yeah, but did it fill that deep hole? And here's Faith's response. And I, when I asked her if I could use her answer, she wrote this out for me, all right? Yeah, I had that hole in me. By the way, Faith is a life change graduate. She's a wonderful person, as are many folks who struggle with recovery. I'm learning a lot being privileged to hang around with them. So I had that hole in me. I knew something was missing. When I got involved in this church, I joined everything. And over time, I did not notice the missing so much. I was too busy doing good, learning about God, being of help, and being loved on. And over time, what was missing didn't matter so much as what was being found. And then one day, I realized nothing was missing. You know what? I've experienced going to court, which would normally be a horrible event, but I felt peace. That is a miraculous glimpse of living in God's reality. And here's the kicker. Feeling God's peace in your life. Maybe that's another great way to describe the eternal perspective, or it's a side effect, I'm not sure. Peace which passes understanding, right? Feeling like you are in his presence, doing things for his world, not my world, that is the most powerful drug I have ever had. Amen. It is. It's the most powerful drug I've ever had, and once I taste it, I just can't go back. Whew. So, what about all of us? Where do we go? What do, what do we do to, to have that eternal perspective, to, to choose that eternal perspective? I, uh, boy, in my, I was in a previous job after, after February 28, and it was a place I didn't really like. I didn't want to be there, and it was a struggle to choose the eternal perspective. But when I did, it was a good job. When I get, went there with the temporal perspective, so the solution is the same for all of us you know do what Mary did you show up doing what you know to do hopeful for Jesus even after she was disillusioned and in grief she showed up she showed up looking looking hard I, I like this uh, so a book that folks are starting to read around here is the band meeting, right? Teaching us how to do the bands that Jake is talking about, which are great. One of the quotes they give is from a Dutch pietist 
preacher. Jodicus von Lodenstein. Maybe I just threw this in because I wanted to say his name. But no, this quote is great. He says, Wait upon the Lord, for he is like a light that arises out of the east. But then he goes on to say, Always move east. Waiting for the Lord is not this passive. It's a desperate seeking. So, what, what do we do? Well, boy, six years ago, I got to become a part of this wonderful body. Hey, we've got the daily text. We have mentors. There's two classes, unseen reality, praying the Psalms. You can join a covenant discipleship group. You've got bands. We've got spiritual guides. There's personal prayer, personal time in Bible study. Folks, it, I mean, if I could ram my head against a wall and it would make you crave those things in Jesus and get that eternal perspective, I'd go do it right now. We're not doing that just for fun. We're doing it because we want freedom for everybody. And that's what we know to do in the meantime. And maybe even like Corey and like Faith, that is, that is how Jesus dawns that eternal perspective on us. You will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. That great passage out of Jeremiah 29, 13, right? A painful thing somebody said to me one time was, well, let me see your calendar and your checkbook and I'll see what you're seeking. Yeah. So I, I'd just like to close by restating what Faith said. Feeling God's peace in your life feeling like you're in his presence, doing things for his world and not my world is the most powerful drug I have ever had. Please share your stories with each other of he appeared also to me, right? Dennis, brother, come finish us out with worship.